Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. My name is Duffy Henderson and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide a helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. If you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to like or share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thank you again for listening in, and may the Lord bless this podcast greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual benefit and growth. We hope you'll enjoy today's episode. Well, we're back for another episode in our series of corporate worship. I'm joined once again with Jason Rowland and Philip Castleton. How are you guys for today's episode? Good. We just had lunch, and we are ready yeah, to... Yeah, it's nap time, yeah. isn't it? This well, is going to be a tough sledding. Yeah, the, I was about to say, we're ready to finish up these next two uh, yeah, episodes yeah. so that we can't take a nap. Yeah, we're, we're excited to <laughs> we're go through this. We're older than you, Duffy. <laughs> I'm ready to rock, guys. We, we require naps. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good conversation. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear today. We hope this is a benefit to you. So today... Uh, this is our third episode and kind of the, the culmination of the theology and biblical considerations that we've uh, previously talked about in the previous two episodes. Um, we're going to be looking at um, putting feet to the doctrine that we've, we've put out there, the, the discussions that we've had, answering the question, what should corporate worship look like? Or maybe put another way, another way, what should it look like when believers gather together? What should they do? How should it visibly manifest itself within the life of the church. And we're going to cover several topics, but I'd love to uh, read and, and begin our conversation today with a quote from Jonathan Landry Cruz's book, What Happens When We Worship. It's put out by Reformation Heritage Books. I think it was put out in 2020. It's an excellent book if you're interested in further reading on this subject. But Cruz writes this, Corporate worship is a time when we come together And God audibly, through the ministry of the word, reminds us of the important reality that he is king and we are his subjects. He is Lord and we are his servants. He is shepherd, we are sheep. He is God, we are his creatures. As Ecclesiastes 5 writes, God is in the heaven and you on earth. So we must do what he says. And since submission doesn't naturally come to us, we need to learn it. It isn't easy, so we need to work at it. Worship is where we learn and are trained in the disciplines that are so crucial to the Christian life, as in trust, obedience, submission, or in a word, faith. Worship is faith expressing itself in obedience and adoration. And Cruz finishes up this paragraph with, The God-centered worship service is the garden in which faith is planted, grown, and cultivated. What an important and impactful quote that Cruz writes about what happens when we worship. Uh, when we come together as the local body of Christ and we, uh, we put into practice our faith and our doctrine. And so we're answering the question again. I'll reiterate, what does corporate worship look like? And today we're going to specifically talk about um, the Bible as primary in our worship services in which we draw from. The Bible helps to guard us. It helps to equip us. It helps us to, uh, to know God better and know ourselves better. And so with regards to corporate worship, 
We want to rely on the word of God, which is what the Bible is, to inform us on how we are to approach God. Jason, I'll pass it off to you to kind of get this thing going. Um, Any first thoughts on this? Well, I think it would be important just to take a minute to think about some of the things we've said on the previous podcast. That's great. Number one, that we gather as a uh, transformed people or a regenerated people. Uh, Number two, that we gather for the mutual benefit of one another. Uh, Obviously, God is worshipped in that, but we gather for the benefit of one another. We need to understand, too, that, that we meet regularly. That's part of what gathered worship is. We need to understand that it's a unique event, and I and an event is is a little bit of a hard word to use, but we, we need to recognize it. it is a unique event in terms of all other events that we see within the context of uh, earthly life and living. Yeah, it happens. You mean by event, just simply it happens in a time and a place. Yes. There's a beginning and an end to corporate worship in yes. that sense, right? Yes. So I think at least those four things ought to be um reminders to us as we've talked about um, corporate worship with the two previous podcasts. Yeah. And we need to come now to what you said earlier, that that the scripture is what informs our uh, gathering, what we do in our gathering. Amen. That's great. So the, the one thing that I keep going back to when we think about the gathering of God's people, uh, we need to remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I think we'll look at this in, a, in another con, uh, episode, uh, more in depth perhaps, but we need to come back to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let everything done be done to mutually edify for the benefit of one another. That's right. And so um, then the scripture has to uh, tell us what that is. That's um, right. It can't be from our own philosophies and it can't be from our own experiences and it can't be from why not that's a great that's a great point why why can't we why don't we know what's best for us well number one because our our sin nature uh mm. taints every part of what we do mm. uh including our worship and mm. so we have to overcome our sin nature yeah. we have to think biblically uh out which is outside of us um if we if we try to do worship from what's inside of us um, we've got numerous examples in the Old Testament that we could go to. In fact, we may try to do that that help us to realize that what's inside of us is not going to be uh, what is mandated in Scripture or what's prescribed by God. Uh, he has a right as sovereign and as Lord and as God to dictate how he is to be worshipped. Amen. And he's given us those things in his word, yes. which is sufficient for worship. So we, because it's sufficient, we don't have to throw in um, ideas and thoughts and experiences and man-made um, um, pieces and, and parts of uh, what we think it ought to be. And I, I would go one step further and say if we do add to what Scripture, what God in his word is, has given us, if we add to it, that's we're going into sinful territory there. We're going into presumptuous territory there. Philip, right. you have any thoughts there as well, we, yeah, actually, we're I opening do. up a couple? Um, one is that the, the, 
the, one of the reasons that, that the scripture has to inform it is because this is the revelation we have, the particular revelation we have from God. And revelation is not, I mean, um, and worship is not about us or for us or to us. It's ultimately, though we, there are spiritual benefits, as we've talked in previous um, podcasts about, it's ultimately we are giving and attributing back to God what belongs to him. Yeah. And so I don't get to decide what belongs to him. He's told us what belongs to him. I don't get to decide how to describe him. He's told me what he's like. Mm. I don't get to make these decisions. Mm. He has said, this is who I am, and this is what you owe me. And he's also told us what pleases him. Yes. And so in the vein of that, yes. we worship. Anything else is um, is self-worship, and ultimately Romans 1 would say idolatrous, Right. He tells us because we choose not to see him as what he is, nor to give thanks and all these things, we have become vain and futile in our thinking. And I think that anything that's not ultimately informed by God's word, which is the particular revelation we have from God, nothing else, right? In that sense, if it's not informed by that, it will ultimately serve to be idolatrous. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, Jason, I'm going to pitch this back to you, if you don't mind. Let's camp out for just a moment. We're going to emphasize the the word of god in the form of the bible and we want to make sure that especially for our context we believe that the word of god is closed right yes it's complete yes it is um it is sufficient in the sense that it does not need to be added added to or edited and uh would you speak just a little bit to our what we believe here especially believers baptist church about the bible itself well uh, number one you say it's closed that means that there's not any additional new revelation that god's given uh it's not closed in the sense that we can make an interpretation of the text it's not closed in the sense that there are applications that be made from text but it's closed in that there's no further revelation given to us it's sufficient in that it is um, able to be enough uh, for us to do worship, uh, to do church, uh, to share the gospel. Um, it's enough for us to be able to have the kind of marriages that would honor God. So it's sufficient. It is enough uh, so that we don't need man's philosophy. We don't need psychology. We don't need um, um, the greatest ideas, and we don't need the... the uh, um, political ideas, these things we would not be sufficient um, to help, and we don't need to add those. So the sufficiency of Scripture, uh, it's inerrant in that it, it would be um, totally true in everything that it says, um, and that we wouldn't have to worry that it would be contradicting itself, that it would not um, be truthful in all things. Now, does it does it tell us everything? Uh, it doesn't tell us how to change a flat tire. It doesn't tell us how to prepare a gourmet meal. Um, but it tells us everything for life and godliness. That's right. That's right. And so that we can trust it completely. And that's what we must go to as the foundation for uh, public worship, corporate worship, or private worship, or um, how to... Uh, conduct our relationships with one another as believers. I mean, every part of the Christian life is determined by what the authority of Scripture mm. says. And so I might throw that in there, too. Yeah, that's great. It's authoritative. It, it has <laughs> um, authority over our lives. So, Philip, uh, as we're—I would like to chase just a small rabbit trail here, if we could. 
Speaking of this sufficiency of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, the closed nature of the of the Word of God, in the sense that Jason just described for us. So you're saying that we should not come to church to gather for corporate worship with our Bibles in hand, looking for a, a new, fresh word from the Lord, maybe some new revelation from the Lord. We're, we're communicating that's not what we're to do, correct? Yes, yes. <clears throat> a new, fresh word in the sense that um, my eyes have been opened to understand God's word and and apply it in various ways. Absolutely, absolutely. In that sense, new, absolutely. Fresh. But in the sense that the Scripture itself has something particularly new to say, absolutely not. It says what it says. It was written. In fact, um, just to, to to lean into a couple of things that he said. First of all, it, it can't say anything that it didn't say to your original audience. So That's if right. It, if it's not communicating, it, it doesn't communicate something to me that it didn't then. Applications are wide. Interpretation is narrow. But um, and Amen. another thing that um, in the context of that, just because it doesn't tell us how to make a gourmet meal doesn't mean it doesn't inform how we should think about the gourmet meal and how we should respond to the gourmet meal. True. It actually has things to say about everything. Yes. My attitude that happens when I have the flat tire, right. it talks to me about that attitude. Right. It talks to me about the attitude I should have while changing the flat tire. Man, now you're stepping on. You're getting. You're getting into. But the... it doesn't actually tell me how to change the flat tire. <laughs> right. But 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 yes. but those, the way that I respond in those moments. Amen. is actually worship, Amen. and it informs how what I'm supposed to think while I'm doing those. Now, I didn't yeah. mean to make too long a No, 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 that's great. That's great. But no, we, we are right. Uh, no new revelation. That's right. Uh, Hebrews 1 says that he has spoken at various times, various uh, in various ways to the yep. prophets, to the fathers, yep. but he has spoken his last day through his son. That's right. right? And so we have a finished canon. We have a finished order. Can I bounce off that just for a moment? Sure. Go ahead. So that our experiences are subject to the Word of God. Yes. Ooh. We need to make that clear. Our Ooh, experiences do not in any way become the um, form or the base above the Word of God. You know what? You're making a great point here because so often our experiences seem to be the measure of worship. And mm. the Scripture should be the measure of worship. And our experience, the emotion or whatever that comes from it, should be informed by the, the the truth the truth claims made in the worship right yes. and and yes. Sa- in fact our emotions it's been said make great um, foot soldiers but not very good generals right. and we need to understand that the scripture is the general which informs our emotions and tells Amen. us how to respond Amen. we we Amen. ask the wrong question when we come out of a worship service yes mm. how did that make me feel uh-huh. how did that song make me feel mm. um, what kind of emotion did mm. it stir up in me yeah. we're asking the wrong question well oh. it's because we start with the wrong uh, we, we start, start with, with the wrong assumption. Yes. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay, guys, this is good. Good conversation. We we need to we need to give something that's practical and that we can we can hand to to you as the listener. We need to uh, put some feet to this. So the Bible is sufficient. It's the uh, foundation on which we stand. It's the authority that we submit to. And so we would say that from this belief of scripture naturally flows what we would call the regulative principle of worship. And that can sound a bit abrasive if you have never heard that term. Um, I know it did for me the first time I heard about it. I was like, that sounds really wooden and and staunch. And man, I'm, I'm just letting the Lord lead me, you know. Uh, but really, it's actually a freeing and uh, liberating uh, thing that we can latch onto is the body of Christ. So I'd love for us to spend some time um, talking about what we mean 
by the regulative principle of worship. Jason, would you kind of kick off this conversation for well, us? Well, I would uh, first of all begin with the historical uh, background yeah, please, for the reg- re- regulative principle, because it's not something that somebody just dreamed up in recent years. It's not something right. that uh, <clears throat> Reformed churches have um, overlaid to make sure that uh, everybody's doing what they think is right. It's, it's not something new. It's, it comes out of the Reformation. Uh, and even beyond the Reformation, but uh, particularly out of the Reformation, there is the um, battle between uh, Luther, who is uh, actually the father of the the, the uh, yeah. Reformation, yep. um, battle between Luther and his willingness to incorporate some of the Catholic mm-hmm. forms mm-hmm. Um, of worship or... Um, the Protestant churches that had broken away from Catholicism that wanted to use the Bible as the means for regular worship. Yes. And so that's where it comes from. It goes all the way back to the Reformation. So that would be six, middle, uh, early 16th century. Yes. Um, well, yeah. yeah, but, but the principle that, uh, that, that we, that the principles that are, that give us a foundation for, yes. for do it. I know where you're going. All the way to the scripture. Oh, yes. amen. So for, amen. For those of us who yes. think that this is something that that is stemmed from the Re- uh, Reformation, it's actually not. We we can go back and we have multiple examples of where people have outstepped or overstepped or understepped what yeah. God has prescribed. That's right. Where God has said unacceptable, and there are consequences for it. He said, "This is who I am. This is how you'll worship." And so the principles from that are, are brought in. Uh, and and given a and given a name, really. right? And we that, get the, we get the vocabulary yes. that we're using from that era, yes. right? Right, because remember the Reformation is that the the main emphasis is sola scripture. That's right, right. So that that's right. What they were bouncing uh, off of in terms of trying to to regulate worship, biblical worship, is the scripture. It's a natural outflowing of sola scriptura, the regulative principle cannot stand and is really meaningless outside of sola scriptura right right, right. well it is the it is the natural outworking of it it you really can't, is if you move any other direction you've denied no matter what you say about sola scriptura anything other than a regulative principle ultimately assumes you don't believe it that's right i mean it it, it defies it in practice if you start with the sovereignty of god and the sovereignty of his word to his people the regulative principle of worship flows it, it's it's uh it's just, it's biblical, you know? And so, right. Right. Um, so what this does is I, I like to think of the regulative principle for myself as I think through it as a fence in which I can play without fear of getting hit by a car. You know, I think about the, the parent model uh, with my children. Uh, my kids can play freely uh, with, uh, with no fear of harm unless they're climbing up a tree or something, but uh, you, you get the idea. Uh, within the parameters of this fence, um, I don't have to worry about them, uh, whatever the case may be, you know? And so this regulative principle keeps us tethered to the word because, again, we're coming back to this sufficiency and authority over our lives as believers, um, this word is. So the word of God informs the way we worship God. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and it defines the parameters in which we play. That's right. That's which right. Which is the, the, the idea right. that you're talking about the fence. It defines the parameters in which we function. That's exactly right. Right. So if we are a holy, <laughs> set-apart people of God for, for His presence to dwell, then 
the parameters that are given to us um, help us to um, worship his worship him, and they then cannot be my preference, my idea, my experience, um, my desire that I would think even that I would even think that God might be pleased with. That's right. That's right. It doesn't, you know, I'm not the guy I like to, I like to beat up on those who always want their preference, but I want to say this because I want to be fair. There is maybe a room for preference in some places when we can talk about forms in a minute. Of course. There may be a yes. place yes. for some preference. Yes. And I'm, I normally would fall on the other side of that, but, <laughs> but, the, but I want to be fair in all my dealings. Yeah. The fact is yeah. there may be room for that, but not in ultimately um, the, the nuts and bolts of Well, we're going to distinguish in just a few minutes. We're going to distinguish between the elements mm-hmm. that God has prescribed for us right. to do and the circumstances in which we do them. Yeah. And those change all the time. I want to, I want to take us to, um, I've got in front of me, uh, Matt Merker has written an excellent little small book in the nine marks building healthy churches series. It's brand new, very recent. It's just entitled corporate worship. So if you want to go pick up a copy, um, I would encourage you to do that list. It's an easy read. I read it in one day. It's an easy read. Um, 120 pages, 130 pages, very easy reading. But uh, Merker kind of helps us with this idea, and I think this will help send us to the next portion as we're talking about the regulative principle. He writes this, quote, Corporate worship is one of the most, uh, excuse me, corporate worship is one of the foremost good works to which God calls us. Listen to his words there. I'll read that sentence again. Corporate worship is one of the foremost good works to which God calls us. And since scripture equips us for every good work, then we should not need to step outside God's word to find out how to worship. And then on the very next page, this will be found on page 81 and 82. He says that the regulative principle is primarily concerned with determining which elements of worship are biblical. And by necessity, it would um, exclude others. And he says these can be summarized under five headings. Reading of the word, praying the word, preaching the word, singing the word, and seeing the word. And Jason, I'd love to pass this off to you as we're talking through those elements. And specifically here at Believers Baptist Church, we try to, in our, each and every week, to make sure that we are operating within these parameters. Letting the word of God reign supreme, it informs us, and we try to incorporate these elements that the Bible has prescribed for us. We do. I think there um, are several ways that we try to do that. I, I think that we try to be a worshiping church. And so we, in fact, we just went through briefly just before we went on air with the podcast some diagnostic questions about uh, are we a worshiping church? But those elements that praying the word, reading the word, preaching the word, seeing the word, singing the word, all of those then are used as our guide for worship placed in the bulletin, what we call the bulletin. Um, order every, of service, order of service, liturgy, whatever, you, you know, you can yeah. use several things there. Right. Uh, every week. So if someone is paying attention to our order of service, then they can see in bold print, we are now reading the word, we are now preaching the word, we are now uh, singing the word, etc. So that um, we, we give some kind of um, uh, informative um understanding this is what we're doing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think that's really good because what we want to teach is first of all, that 
the leadership here, we take things very seriously, right? We want to communicate that this is not something that's thrown together. This isn't a smoothie. <laughs> this is a, f- I, I dare to say this, this is a, um, a three course meal, not a smoothie, right? Um, those are good for different things. But the, the point of the matter is we've taken the, using the food analogy, we've taken the ingredients that God has given and we want to be good stewards of those things. And we want to use them in the ways that he has told us to use them in ways and avoid ways he's told us not to use them. Philip, do you have anything there? Well, I was going to say, you're also giving these these people categories in which to think. Oh, that's a great, because, that's a great point. Because yes. the, a lot of times we are so sloppy, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but we're just sloppy in the way we think. Yeah. We don't think and we confuse categories. Sometimes we mix them all up. And here is we are giving our people in a real sense, even the bulletin is a teaching opportunity. And we are giving people categories in which to think. Okay. I am actually praying, but what am I praying? What What's going on here? Oh, this is an act of worship. I'm not only praying, but and how is it informed? Oh, it's informed by the word. So now I've got, I'm praying the word. I'm, this is an act of worship to God. It's one of the ways in which God has, has, has informed me and, and informed his people to do it. We do it individually, but we do it corporately. I mean, you stand up and lead uh, prayers. You know, we have multiple prayers throughout the service. We sing, but it does, it gives, it, 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 it's a teaching opportunity where we can say people think in these categories because it is so helpful to, um, to, to inform us and to motivate us and to, to really sharpen us if Amen. we have categories in which to, 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 to lump these yes. things. Yes. Um, and it's so important for me. I'll, I'll kind of get personal here and very, very practical. I've been leading worship for a long time now. Um, and I have come through uh, many phases uh, with my convictions and my desires and my preferences and, um, you know, all those categories. I, I've Lord has brought me on a journey closer to him, uh, shedding off weights along the way. And uh, I have just, I, I, when I think about planning a worship service for the body of Christ, that I know that what I'm doing is going to affect every individual in the church all at one time, similar to the sermon. Uh, when Jason prepares a sermon, I know that when he is thinking through a text, thinking of application, he's thinking of individual names and people in the church that this is going to touch, this is going to impact. the, the um, And so I think of those same categories, that what a, what a, a burden, a, a joyful burden to bear, that I'm putting words into your mouth as the congregant, as we sing together, just because I'm on a stage does not mean that I'm above anyone. Um, we are together singing, but I'm, I have the responsibility of placing words in people's mouths and asking them to sing those words to themselves, to others, and to God. What a, what a weighty task. And so the regulative principle helps me to lead worship in confidence with, with little anxiety because I know that on the front end, I have, I have done all that I can do to keep our worship service within the parameters of how God has called us to worship him. It also informs um, the visitor who walks in. Mm, what is this great church point. about? Great point. They look and they say, they're praying the word. They're preaching the word. They're singing the word. These people love the word, right? And and the word is uh, uh, God's word, right? That's right. That's so right. there's a sense in which it informs that person 
who and what we're about. And that's what liturgy ultimately does. That's right. And it, d- depending, and it doesn't matter what liturgy you have. The, your liturgy ultimately informs who and what you're about. That's right. Right. So if you walk into a church and um, the lights are down and the smoke is going and, you know, um, and the lead guitarist lets off with a, a rock and roll rip, a riff or whatever, you're informing um, the people ultimately what you're about. Well, what we what we recognize is that if God's word informs us on this, and we and we can put that out, give clear categories in which to think, it also informs the people out there. Here's where our focus is, and we're not moving from that. We're not straying to the left or to the That's right. That's a great point. I think also uh, practically in our congregation, and what we try to do every Sunday morning is to give some um, sense that we have gathered for. A particular purpose. So yes. I will say we've gathered this morning to worship the triune God through praise, prayer, and proclamation, mm-hmm. always pointing to the cross, the symbol of the good news yes. that Jesus Christ, as incarnate God, lived the life that we couldn't live, Amen. died the death that we deserve, and on the third day, he bodily rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so we start our services this way mm. every week to, yes. to indicate. So you catechize them not only with um, our, our desire and need and and and, and to, to worship, right? Our, our, our effort and our, our coming together with, a, with a, a purpose of worship, but also the gospel, right? right. So you get both of those in the course of um, one minute to start the service. That yes. informs an awful lot. Yes. And yeah. so it's, and I, I just take that baton. I'm, I'm joining with you in that. I, I think this is important to, to not miss as well, that worship, corporate worship begins when, when we are called into worship, not just when we are singing together. Corporate worship is the entire gathering, right? Right. It's beginning to end when we, when we begin with this call to worship, this affirmation of, of biblical truths, the gospel is proclaimed right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Boy, what an incredible moment. And then we just, everything else flows from that. You know, interesting enough, Mindigo, you're talking about, use the word event, and there's mm-hmm. a beginning and an ending. This is why many liturgies, and, and, and we might incorporate it in ours at some point, but we have a call to worship, and a lot of them end with a benediction, which is like, it's here's coming. where we begin, this here's where we end. end. It's coming. And, um, and yeah, and I was going to say, and, and I, I figured it probably was, but, um, and that's a real sense in which we say, everything we do between this and this, it, we're doing with a purpose in yes. mind, with a yes. goal. We're aimed yes. at something. We are aimed. Yes, that's so good. We are aimed. Um, you know, we're, we're either aimed at, at teaching something, exposing something. I mean, the sermon uh, serves to the Lord uses that as a scalpel, right? Exposing our, ourselves and teaching us and growing us, sanctifying us. Our, our songs that we sing um, benefit others. We encourage one another through the singing. We remind ourselves. The praying of the word reminds us of things that we don't think about on a, on a regular basis. We pray for other churches. We pray for those around the world who are um, being persecuted for the faith. I mean, all of these aspects of our of our worship services are first and foremost biblically centered, but they're biblically informed um, and have an aim. They have a trajectory, and it's right. a God centered aim. Really, And so we're talking about the elements of regulative worship. Yes. But there's a couple of other key terms that um, theologians, scholars have used to help us to understand regulative principle. And that is the word forms. 
Yes. And uh, the word circumstance. Yeah, please speak to those. That's, all, that's well, great. Well, just speaking to forms, forms then becomes for us how we go about doing the elements. So Philip mentioned this, and, and I'm glad he did earlier about preferences. You know, preferences aren't necessarily evil. Yeah. Um, it's when our preferences have become expectations that yep. they become sinful. Or they become ultimate. Ultimate is a good point, yeah. So then um, preferences wouldn't be evil. And I understand that some people might have preference over, um, I love that, the song, Be Thou, Be Thou My Vision. Mm-hmm. Me uh, that's a preference for me. Me too. Right? So that I might have a preference over that than uh, even Amazing Grace. But um, that doesn't mean that it's evil. But if I expect every Sunday that I do or we sing corporately, Be Thou My Vision, then it might become... Um, a sinful thing for me. Um, so Matt Merker in the book that you referenced earlier, Corporate uh, Worship out of the Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches series, he talks about forms in this way. He says, if you're furnishing a kitchen, you need certain basic elements, like a stove. But what form of stove do you need? Is mm-hmm. it going to be an electric stove? Is it going to be a gas stove? Is it going to be a toaster oven? It's, so it depends on your time and place, he says, ultimately. So the, the question is, it becomes, uh, when we're reading the Word, uh, does one person read that? Do we read that corporately? How does the form of reading the Word take place? Do we read, as we do in our services, do we read through a book together, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, on, on a even each given Sunday? So, um, or does somebody just read a psalm every week? Or do they read multiple psalms? So the forms might take place differently in, a, in any given local church. But as long as it's reading the Word, then that's the element of regulative worship. Yeah, and God has given us <clears throat> parameters with which to operate in, but He's also given graciously freedom in those parameters, right? right? And that's what you're talking about. That's what this uh, distinguishing elements from forms. Right. Um, the elements need to be uh, in every worship service across the board. The forms can change from church to church, from situation to situation. Well, the elements are, is the fence line. That's right. That's if, right. If we, if we forget that, we'll be in a mess. That's right. And the reason is, is because forms um, is just how we can play inside the fence. And, and, the, and I say that because where the distinction might be is um, – Yes, whether I sing that particular song or whether I use the piano versus the guitar or or whatever, those are forms, right? But whether I sing a rock and roll song or a song that is that is um, true and right and and biblically accurate, that's not a form. That's an element. I am not allowed to bring um, something outside of the word into into the fence. Yeah. Okay, so the, the 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 elements or the fence around um, that 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 inform everything that that guard us, as if you will, and sure. then inside that we have freedom. But the question, and I guess the only reason I bring this up is because if some people are going to be thinking about this in the in the realm of practicality. What do they see on on TV? What do they see on, on online? You know, versus what do they experience? Oh, compare here? comparison. And what yeah. I'm saying is, what you see most of the time, especially. More and more, especially um, if you go online with some of these mega churches, or people who are working from a different um, principle, 
uh, you know, and, Correct. and it's called the normative principle. But Correct. They, and they'll say, um, basically, um, anything I think will work, any, any pragmatic approach that will uh, attract or draw or do this or that is, is reasonable, right? So I can, I can bring all these things in. And what we're saying is that we allow the scripture to be that, um, that deciding factor for us, right? So it is the thing that informs, it's the thing that decides, it's the thing that we use to establish the boundary within which we play. And the yep. normative principle would say, if the scripture doesn't prohibit it, that's right. It's, it. it's, it's, that's exactly it. right. It's fair game unless God has specifically spoken to it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that the normative principle would speak a little bit more to the element category than the form category, and if I'm not that's mistaken. My, but that's, well, that's my point. Okay, yeah. That's my point. Yeah. See, th- my point is, is that we can't, you know, you, you look at this, let's just say... Um, you take the, your typical Southern Baptist megachurch right now, Stephen Furtick. Let's just use his church for example, right? He's a Southern Baptist church, pastor, whatever. He might start his um, service off with a jamming rock song out of the 80s to get everybody going, right? And they call this worship, right? This is what they do. You're talking about a secular jamming yeah, rock yes. song. Okay. I'm just saying he's taking something right out of, um, uh, you know, uh, Secular, secular, whatever. He's taking a secular song, has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with elevating, speaking to uh, the nature of God and and what he's done in redemption. None of those things. He's just, they've just taken a secular song and they use it to draw a crowd, to to get the people psyched up, to whatever the case may be. He's working from uh, the normative principle, which would say, God didn't say I can't, so it's okay. We're saying something completely different. We're saying... The, we have a parameter, we have a fence, and that is why we go by the regulative principle, which would art, would be more, we would articulate it in this way. If God, if God hasn't told us to do it, we don't do it. The things that he's told us to do, we do. Now, in the forms category, how, how does that work itself out? Yep. Right. And I think it would be helpful also for a listener, maybe, maybe someone has uh, battled this within their own hearts or um, knows someone who this is a struggle, but the the other side of the fence, or I say the fence, we're we're operating within the fence. <laughs> Bad metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the pendulum always swings, right? And so we've also seen these instances where it goes beyond what Scripture has said to do, and it gets too fine of a point on it, and say. Um, if there's not a piano in the worship service, then it's not true worship and God's not going to be accepting of this because a piano is not a part of, um, I've, I've heard this before from someone that a piano must be a part of a church service or else it's not a church service. So we've moved from liberty and to, to Pharisee. That's right. You, yeah. You've moved from, from, well, okay, if God hasn't really spoken to it and it's not just, you know, it's not sinful, then we're, we're okay here to this other end of the pendulum swing where well, we built a fence inside the fence. That's right. And then there's another fence, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, I know we can we can you know chase those rabbits, but um, so just to be clear, let's sum up what we've been discussing. We've talked about the sufficiency, the authority, and the ultimate foundation for us that the Word of God is. It informs our worship services. It informs the people of God. It teaches the people of God. And from that. We get the regulative principle of worship. And you won't find those words in the Bible. All this is is trying to communicate what we see in the Bible, communicated to us that God cares how he's worshipped. He has set 
regulations for how he's to be approached and worshipped. And this would be opposite of the normative principle of worship that says if God hasn't really spoken to it or if there's no strict guidelines, then it's up for fair game. Is that a fair assessment, a summary? Yes, but but I, I wouldn't put them on equal footing. Correct. Correct. We, I don't want someone to hear us and think what we're saying is here's two options. Choose one. Oh, amen. Because yes. that's not what he's of saying. Of course here. not. Of course and, not. And the reason I say that is because we have um, bukus of, of scripture <clears throat> where we see God saying, here are the rules, live within those rules. And when people acted outside of those rules, God brought judgment. And so that's in every book of the Bible. Yes. So what we're not saying, well, that is ultimately that's, yeah. the, the call of the redeemed. That's right. Is to live um, a life that has been separated and set apart unto God. That is the call of the redeemed, to live a life that's marked by him and his word. But but what I'm saying is, so what we're not saying is, here's two options, pick one that you like is best. What we're saying is the regulative principle, we believe, is the one that Scripture tells us to do. And I think there are real consequences for stepping outside of it. Amen. Great clarification there. Jason, would you have any clarifying points Well, I there? just wanted to make clear, remember that the, the elements then of... Um, the marks of the elements would would I guess it's actually the elements would yeah. be see the word, read the word, preach the word, sing the word, pray the word. Yeah, um, not in that necessarily that particular order, but the, but it's all word centered. Yeah, which, which is what. And we're I would love sure. for us um, as we're as we're, this is going to be listener. Uh, this will be a little bit of a longer podcast, so um, we'd love for you to hang with us. Um, I'd love for us to spend a little bit of time on each of those elements and just let's talk each talk through them just to, just briefly what we mean by see the word or praying the word and what that might practically look like within the life of the church and seeing that we do have a little freedom there in how the forms take place. We have freedom as long as we're within the word. And, and that's Correct. the whole point. Correct. The point is, is I don't have the freedom to sing that, that which is outside the word. Correct. I don't have the right. That's, that's where I want to go. Yeah. To preach that which is not in the Word. And so I don't get to come. And this is why um, exposition is so important versus um, um, many topical sermons. Uh, So many people come in and they say, I have this thing I want to communicate to these people. Where can I find a scripture that might look like it um, uh, backs me up, right? That's not preaching the Word. That's preaching me. That's preaching my idea. Yeah. That's me coming to the scripture and trying to conform scripture to my thoughts. And that, I say, is outside of the regulative true, principle. True, true. And that's just what we're trying to say. This is what is going to to fence us in and keep us safe. Correct. Is staying within these boundaries. Yeah. I would be careful with um, not all topical preaching is anti bit. Yeah. I, I, but... I said some. Sure. Yeah. True. I'm not, I'm not throwing them all out, Sure, but I'm just saying though, I know many a pastor, I've listened to a sermon even this week, a, a local guy who, sure. who preached a sermon and, and his whole point was, um, I have something to say, where can I find a, a verse or two yeah. that sounds yeah. like it's supporting my view? Here's what I have to offer yeah. up. And I'm saying that is not what we are called to do, and it's certainly not what we are permitted to do. Correct. Yeah. Um, yep. You know. So that would fall under the category of preach the word. That's right. Let's start there. Can we start there, Jason? Would you just unpack for us um, preaching the word? What do we mean by that specifically? Well, for us in our congregation, it means expositional, verse by verse preaching through a book of the Bible. So currently we're in the book of Romans. We're in chapter two. Uh, We're going to be in verse 12 through 16 this Sunday morning. And then the next week we'll start in Romans two, uh, verse 17 and following. 
so it means unpacking the text, and the point of the sermon is the point of the text. That's right. So that's that's. So pre- we want to hear from God from His Word through the sermon, right? Right, and that's preaching the Word. Um, so then, if we move to praying the Word, yeah. Um, so. In our again, I'm just using our context. So we have a pastoral prayer, what we call a pastoral prayer, at least uh, that began our service. Uh, you mentioned earlier, we, what we try to do is uh, we we I think carefully about that prayer. I write that prayer out. Yes, and I love that. By the way, I want to affirm you in that. I think that's such a wonderful way to, to it teaches us how to pray. You you model that for us. So go ahead and expound on that. I just well, want to throw um, that in. I, I, and I used different prayer books. Uh, there's a John MacArthur prayer book that I use, and there's some others that I use some of the phrases and words and outline. Uh, but but I just want it to be a carefully worded prayer that includes the elements that we find in Scripture, whether it be the gospel, whether it be um, exalting God, whether it be elevating the Scripture, um, whatever the, the um, particular topic or theme of prayer uh, yes, for that prayer, and that includes uh, praying for persecuted believers. It prays for we pray for some of our sister churches in the area. Yeah. Uh, but then we pray during our offertory, and one of our elders usually comes up to lead the offertory time. We believe, uh, by the way, that giving is part of a response to um, Amen. worship. Yep. Uh, in worship, and so then one of our elders usually would lead. Um, a prayer at that time. We uh, have a prayer, um, certainly at the the uh, the beginning of the sermon when the congregation is standing, and we read the text for the sermon. Then it's usually a brief prayer. Whoever's preaching, if Philip's preaching or one of the others, uh, or myself, then we'll pray there that God would give us ears to hear and something to that form or effect. And uh, we're praying um, at the close of the sermon. Um, to make sure that we respond and give yeah. opportunity to do that. So, yeah, we want to make clear that prayer is of vital importance in the life of believers. Um, we are commanded in Scripture to pray, and that can be done privately and corporately. And I think one way that I know that some churches do, and I would love maybe at some point for us to do, is to just pray through a psalm. There are so many. Um, wide-ranging psalms, psalms of, of desperation, psalms of confession, psalms of praise and adoration, and just reading through the psalm uh, as it is in the in the Word, in a prayerful attitude, can be an amazing experience. We actually do that. Um, we have a every uh, once a month, last Sunday of the month, we have the, the church praying. Okay. And when we do that, we actually do. Oh, wonderful. Usually we use a um, acronym ACTS, so, you know, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Yeah. And, the, and four elders will do that. One of them will read through a, a psalm with a prayer um, of adoration and then okay. confession and so forth. And so we do that that once a month for sure. Awesome. So listener, ju- this is me. I'm still new here. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't actually been to one of these yet. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're that's coming Sunday night. So right. I'm excited for that. But All yeah, right. that's wonderful. Yeah, and there's been times that I have prayed psalms from yeah. in that pastoral prayer. That's great. Or yeah. I'll even pray uh, New Testament. We'll pray through New Testament texts. There are some beautiful texts that Paul gives in his epistles that yes. he is praying for his churches. Yes. Oh, they're wonderful texts. Yes. Uh, but 
continuing on the yeah. singing the word. Singing the word. We we try to think carefully about our hymns. Yes. We want to make our uh, songs theologically uh, sound, biblically uh, based, Christ-centered. Uh, you know, just to, to, to inform this, I, I was talking to someone the other day about this particular thing, and I said, we should, and we do, hold our songs to the same theological standard that our preaching is held to. We ought to, and we do. If, if, if what we say in a song couldn't be preached from the pulpit, it shouldn't be said in a song. And that's the truth of the matter, right? That's a great point. That's a great point. I take that seriously as, as a worship leader. I used to not. I mean, I, I, um, full confession, I've led songs many a time that I today regret and would not ever lead again and will not ever lead again. Um, the Lord has brought me through that. Um, I'm sure that, and He's gracious. I'm he? sure that you've probably yes. preached a sermon before oh. that you probably would never preach again, and and hope that that. Well, we're is, all flawed. We all do yes, things, and, and yes. we're all growing. And if we're not, then we're dead. Yeah, I'm well, sure. There's been sermons that Phillips <laughs> preached that I wish that he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Listen, you ain't the only one. <laughs> That's what I preached last week. A whole bunch of people wish they had to preach that. Oh, it was oh, a great man. sermon. I listened to it. Yes. It was uh, Honestly, wonderful. Excellent. And I, I think we mentioned this in our previous episode, that that particular service spoke to me so much in two ways. First of all, from the songs that we sing and the, the corporate nature of what we did together as a church that was contrasted so starkly with what was presented in the text that was preached. We had this uh, beautiful contrast between the gospel, the assurance that we have in Christ, the blood that was spilt and paid and bought for us, or bought us. Mm-hmm. And then we had this um, dark text of Romans 2 that contrasted that, that kind of had these two ways of salvation, man's way or God's way. And it was all within one service. It was yeah. beautiful. Um, so it, it, I, I was not here uh, because I was out of town, but uh, yeah. I did listen to Philip's sermon and I did call him to uh, commend him. It was, it was uh, very well yeah. um, done and presented right from the text. Yes. So we've covered preaching the word. We've covered uh, praying the word. We've co- the word covered singing the word. And uh, yeah, I think one more one more thing to, to add to the singing of the word would just be simply that there are, as, as a worship leader, as a song leader, um, one that selects music and by necessity eliminates other, other uh, different songs and selects particular songs, there is a, a scrutiny that a song must go under or go through. It's, a, it's, a, it's more than a smell test. You need to scratch the surface and get in and what's there. Um, just because a song is vaguely okay does not mean that it's probably the best choice to sing. There are plenty of songs safe on the love of God. A lot of them are fine and okay. They would get a 7 out of 10, maybe a 6 out of 10. But if there's a 9 or a 10 over there, why aren't we singing that one? Why are we settling for a mediocre? Why are we settling for, you know, um, a TV dinner versus um, a steak, you know, a steakhouse meal, um, if it's there available to us. And again, another thing that I've thought about, we have such a small amount of time each week that we actually engage in corporate singing. I mean, if you think about how many hours are in the week, we don't even sing together for one full hour in an entire week, ever. No. And so whenever I'm thinking about song selection, 
I'm thinking about how do we maximize the impact and the experience that we have together through the power of the Spirit, singing together with the songs that we are singing. Well, that extends way <laughs> past the music, though. That oh, is sure. Actually, I'm just speaking of the singing part. I know, but part. my point yeah. is, is that the, the point you just made is is so important in all the elements, right? Um, yes. So here's the point. We have two hours together. That's right. Two and a half hours together. Why would we waste morning. a minute? Why waste a moment, right? Why would we why waste a moment? Why can't from the beginning yes. to the end be a big chunk of steak, meat from beginning to end? Let's chew Let's, you know, let's savor, let's, yeah. let's take in something that, that will give us some substance <clears throat> to live on the next six days. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's, it's like, it's like so often we want to throw somebody a lollipop and think that's going to sustain them for the rest of the week. Mm. And instead of saying, here is some real meat and potatoes, right? I mean, something good, something solid, something rich. And that's what I'm saying. It's not just the music that that you got, should think of in that terms. We should be saying, we don't pray together enough. We don't preach together enough. We don't That's sing right. together right. enough. We don't see the elements worked out enough and right. all of those things. Yeah. That's, That's right. why uh, we need to avail ourselves of the other opportunities besides just a Sunday morning hour or two two hours if you had Sunday school or two right. and a half. So that would be important. So let's talk about read the word. Yep. Reading the word is uh, another great um, element that we at our church um, we do a lot of it. Uh, Jason, would you speak to that? Well, we begin our service with a call to worship from the Word. Yeah. So we usually read something from a Psalm um, uh, currently, and then um, we of course read the text for the sermon. But we read through uh, books of the Bible. We're currently reading through Nahum. So you read Nahum chapter two last week, Philip. Mm-hmm. I have Nahum chapter 3 this Sunday, the Sunday, February the 27th, 2020. And so... Um, and we also have another pointed reading at the, at the, when we give. When we give in yeah. the, at the offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will read a text. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to reflect um, the giving uh, motif, but just a text of Scripture. Yeah, so in our, in, on any given Sunday, if you come to Believer's Baptist Church, we have four intentional spirit, uh, scripture readings. Yes. And those can range from two to three verses to 20 verses. Yes. Or to and, a whole chapter. And we, yeah. and we, yes. The point being is we intentionally subject ourselves to the simple public reading of the word. We let the word speak. We don't add to it. We don't commentate. We just read it. And there is something rich about that. And you actually just used the right word. We subject ourselves, meaning that we put ourselves under it. Our flesh pushes back at it. It, it does, it took, but as we well. must. We That's put right. ourselves under That's it right. because it, it is authoritative. And we, we sit down, this is part of what worship is and say, Father, speak to us, right? Give us your word. Here it is. In fact, it's been said that this is the only, because humans are involved in so much in, in worship, it's all flawed. But the reading of the word is the only part that ultimately can't, isn't flawed. Amen. Yes. It's the, it's the perfect part of our worship. When we part. just read it without any comments, it t- it tells us it re- well it reminds believers that the power is in the word. The power is in the word, but it also tells guests what we uh, hold as primary importance. Yeah. Um, it's not my commentary. And we get and we also need to probably say at this point that that we even had class, we had practice reading for the readers who actually are reading publicly. 
uh, because we want to read well. We don't want to read hurriedly or sloppily. We want to make sure that we follow the grammar and uh, all of the the, the uh, elements of, of reading with emotion and emphasis. We, we want that because, as you said, Philip, it's the only perfect thing. It really is. Uh, that we can do. So let's let's try to give it its due diligence. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Amen. And so the final one, and I, we are actually going to be um, engaging in this element this coming Sunday. So um, we're at the end of March or the end of February now. And um, last Sundays of the month, we engage with seeing the word outwardly in the sense, and really all the other elements, we see the word played out as well. But really specifically, we're talking about the ordinances, the sacraments, um, the engaging in, ba- in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jason, would you speak to just briefly those two elements for us? Well, let me say uh, in all of this really quickly that we're not saying that we're the perfect model as a church, nor are we condemning any other church. We're, we're, we're just talking about our congregation and, and hopefully explaining some in of In our the, convictions. In our convictions. That's right. For our congregation, because we want to shepherd well. No, I'm uh, just laughing. I was condemning a couple of churches, but you go ahead. Oh, <laughs> Philip, Philip was yeah. doing his thing. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I was. Stephen Furtick, you should not pay attention. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, I just don't want to pit ourselves as... Um, sure, I Steve, understand. Stephen, I Stephen yeah. if you ever listen to this podcast, you probably won't. We love you. We, we hope that you repent, and we would love to see you come back to uh, what you know to be true. Um, I have no doubt in my mind. So right. <laughs> that is an aside. Take us back to seeing well, the Word. Okay, so seeing the Word is um, really a, a summary and depiction of the gospel through the baptism, through a baptism or through uh, the Lord's Supper. And what you're referring to on the last Sunday of the month, we always celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a congregation. Um, and we're, we're just seeing the Word played out before us as we actually... Each individual takes of the cup and the bread, and uh, we're reminded of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. We're reminded of grace. We're reminded of uh, future, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, we're reminded of the second coming of Christ. So we're seeing the Word as we partake of it, because remember that our bodies are a good thing. Uh, we, we tend to, in our culture, overemphasize our bodies, and we exercise it, and we diet, and we do all these things. Um, I to, try not to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an effort to be holy. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with those things. <laughs> uh, hey, we're uh, trying to be serious, man. Right. <laughs> uh my, my point is, and it's a good thing, and I, and I work with a, a trainer, weight training and all that, so I'm not, I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that we, um, our bodies are given to us to experience um, some of the good gifts that God's given us, and through the Word, we're able to do that. Uh, rather, through the Lord's Supper, we're able Amen. to do that. Uh, through baptism, the, the one regret that we have um, probably— that we want to remedy in the future is we do not have a baptism in our sanctuary, a, a baptismal, yeah. yeah, a baptistry. And so we have to uh, wait and do that um, usually a couple of times a year and we'll, we'll have Stack 10, or, them up. Yeah. Yeah, 10 or 12 at a time, but it, that is what it is. But that's a, a, again, a beautiful picture of the gospel. Well, and I, I would say, um, so coming back to kind of the whole purpose of this particular episode 
we're looking at what, what does corporate worship look like? And we made some distinctions on the front end. We talked about the elements. We talked about the forms, that there's some freedom there. And the circumstances, we also have some freedom there. And so specifically, application to what you just made, as well as for the Lord's Supper, would you, uh, Philip, speak a little bit to maybe how just taking the, the, the element that's prescribed for us of, say, baptism, what would be, um, where would those three categories fall in that particular element? Okay, so baptism, um, the regulative principle, if we understand, which um, we would differ a little bit from maybe from Presbyterians, but... Um, Who's it, a, who can be baptized? Yes, who can be baptized. <laughs> or and, who, who um, ought be baptized. <laughs> right. Um, so that would, we might differ there um, with them, but that would be, um, that would be an element. Um, and the, the mode, fact, the mode of baptism. The mode, yeah. that would be an element, right, for us. Um, the, Correct. The, the form uh, might be, is it in a trough or in a baptismal pool? Swan dive, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm teasing. I mean, no, but do we do it in the local lake? Yes, or, I mean, yes. those, that'd be a form circumstance. Do we do it on Sunday morning? Do we do it on Sunday night? Yeah, that's do we do great. it at 7 a.m.? Do we do it at 7 p.m.? Those are the kind of that's things. That's great, um, yeah. You know, does it have to happen on a Sunday? Can it happen on a Wednesday night? Um, could it happen on a Tuesday afternoon when we can all get together at someone's local swimming pool? I mean, those are circumstances, So right? you would so, say you would say that for... Particularly for us, but we hold this along with many others, um, Protestant Baptists, that uh, baptism is for believers only, professing believers only, by immersion. That's the element that is regulated by Scripture in the sense that that is what's commanded specifically. And then the rest of it, um, within the bounds of, of, you know, good conscience and things like that. And common sense. And (laughs) common sense. Good point. No, it's great. That's a great point. Um, a lot of the times we, we, we lose that even. Well, and it, yeah. because, I mean, in all seriousness, um, we might have uh, – the norm might be for us to use the local um, lake, for example. I know people sure. who use the lake or the ocean. Sure. If it's 12 degrees outside, um, you know, common sense says we might be better suited to, to use somebody's hot tub. Right. Yeah. I mean, so common sense should should yeah, there's sure. a sense in which sure. that does that mean that we don't baptize? No, we do. Does that mean that um, if I can't get the whole person under in the pot tub, then it's not a legitimate thing? And I say that. Yeah. But did you hear about the, the local uh, Catholic priest now? Oh, my. This is a great way to, to apply what we're talking about with the regulative principle yeah. of worship versus. What the Roman the Roman Catholic Church does not hold to a regulative principle of worship. No, and this one and this Catholic priest was baptizing people. Obviously, they they have a different view of what baptism. That's actually right. Does that's as right. Well. But they were he was baptizing people, and instead of saying "I," he was saying "we." Yep. And now the church has decided the thousands of people he baptized yep. didn't take and are all these invalid. People are, lost. are invalid yeah. and because he misspoke one it was one word yeah, not even was, a phrase it wasn't an i it was a we it was I a mean, pronoun he should have said <laughs> i baptize That's you right. because the priesthood in their in their scheme of things That's has right. the authority to baptize mm-hmm. and to remove sins and do all that stuff yeah. he said we as if it was a corporate thing now it's it's invalid we we would go come on now I'm saying, you know, if if I don't, man, his kneecap was sticking out because I couldn't get him all under the water in the hot tub. That's neither here nor there. That's one of those yeah, kind of things yeah, we're saying. Sure. Yeah. Now, I, w- I would love, Jason, um, we're going to be gathering this Sunday, this coming Sunday, and we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper together. Some people call it communion, um, where we take the elements and we um, we remember what Jesus did for us, it's a command of His, as uh, He in Scripture even says, as often as you do this, um, 
and remember me, those types of things. So what would be, just for some practical application here, when we're talking about the elements that are prescribed versus the form and the circumstances, can you help us um, think through the Lord's Supper? Well, on the element, then we are commanded to do this. Jesus says, when you do this, not if you do this, but uh, he doesn't say when or how often, I should say. Correct. He, he certainly commands that we do it, uh, but he doesn't give um, any specifics, <clears throat> if it's weekly, quarterly, monthly, um, sure. whatever the case may be. Um, probably best, though, to do it more often than not. Uh, but that being said, that that is not an element, just that the fact that we would do it, that we would take of a bread, that we would take of a cup. Um, how we do it is just a single serving uh, cup that's passed out by the ushers at that on that particular Sunday, and we all take it together uh, at the same time as that is we all take the bread at one time, and then we'll take the cup following that. Um, but that's just the form. That's right. So um, would it be wrong for us to use something other than grape juice at some point or is is you know what i'm saying that the form and, and that sort of stuff well, when you say that and the, the, the form exactly what are you talk the type of bread okay yes that i was going to say the fact that you take it all at the same time i don't think i think that's part of the element yeah oh yeah yeah it, yes and yeah reason, good point good point uh, okay, yes. and i wasn't sure what you okay uh, yeah, sure yeah so no, i just i, I wanted I, you to help us think through the three categories that we were talking right. about so, so, so element is the fact that we do it correct. Uh, as commanded. Correct. The form can be um, whether we uh, take it in a single serving um, container or if there's uh, a cup that's passed out after the bread, which uh, it might be unleavened bread that is cut in squares, or it might be sure, somebody sure. has made homemade unleavened bread and they brought sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, the circumstances it would be whether we do it Sunday morning, Sunday night. Uh, are we going to do it at 9 a.m.? Are we going to do it at 10.30 when the worship service um, starts? Are we going to uh, do it um, uh, on a Wednesday night? Can we do it on a Wednesday night? Um, you know, the circumstances would, would dictate. Yeah, that's great. Dictate it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. To go back to baptism, I mean, we, we, we've actually done baptisms in hot tubs, mm-hmm. uh, swimming pools, multiple swimming pools, different uh, church members' homes. Mm-hmm. And again, the circumstances in that case would be uh, the time, and we always do it on Sunday night, and we make it a big church-wide fellowship and celebration. We bring food in, and and we have a lot of guests that come, and and, uh, some stay, uh, others do not, but they come and be a part of the the actual service. I want to, this might send us on a a tailspin here. Um, Is it proper for baptism... To take place and be administered outside of the of the authority of a local body of believers that are governed by or led by biblically qualified men is baptism regulated in that sense, or does it need to happen within the authority of a local church? Specifically speaking of that, you mentioned we, you mentioned we've had this discussion. Yeah, oh, okay. Um. I mean, you know, we have uh, we have an example in Scripture of Philip baptizing Ethiopian, and it's hey, um, you can't put yourself in Scripture. Man. I know, but we have the example of this, and the assumption there yeah. is that, you know, there would have been Philip and the Ethiopian, and probably some men that served him. I mean, it would have been his his people, but um, 
I don't. That's not in the context of the body, right? Um, would you Would you view that as a unique would, experience would, or would. a normative experience? Well, no. I think that would be the exception, not the rule. But uh, so it, I, I, I want to. But I bring that up to qualify the statement. Correct. I Correct. think that under normal circumstances, it is something the body should do. It's a celebration the body should have together because it is seeing the word. Okay. So I think under normal circumstances, it should be something the church does. I don't know that I would put in the context of um, I would be looser in my in my understanding of element here sure. in, for a, in a couple of ways. First of all, there may be circumstances where it could be done outside the body, sure, and it it could ne- it could be done by someone other than an elder or a pastor. I don't I know people yeah. who have baptized yeah. their children, yeah. that kind of thing. I don't know that I I could find a biblical reason to argue with them about that and I wouldn't want to. Yeah, so, so. I would say I would say on that particular point though, I would still say that I would agree that in a extenuating circumstance that someone not a biblically qualified and recognized elder of a church could baptize someone, but them being themselves under the uh, yes. authority, it, it, yes, part of a body. I agree. So, I, what I mean is simply, uh, in a broad scope, a baptism happening outside of the authority of a local church, yeah. designed by and approved well, by it, scripture. Well, that happens all the time in um, in what we would call non-biblical churches. Okay, and um, so it happens all the time in those in those contexts, and is usually deemed salvific in those contexts, like we just spoke of. I mean, minimally, it removes. Um, I mean, in, in this inerrant theology that, that it's in the places in which it's yeah. done, minimally it removes um, the stain of original sin, right, or something like that. So, yes, it happens. I don't think those are good. I don't think they're healthy. Yeah. Um, I would say that um, it should be done um, most of the time under normal functioning circumstances in, in, the, in the gathered body and probably by or under the auspices of sure. um, a, 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 an elder body or pastor or something like that. Sure. I just wanted to try to make a little bit more application with as we're talking through these elements. Now, that we could go on these with all of the elements. What type of preaching? What type of singing? Uh, style, form, and all of these things, of course. But that's probably the and... only one <clears throat> of, of these that I would give um, room in. I, 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 you know what I mean? For, for, and even then, like I said, exceptions, not rules, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's draw this episode to a close. We've had a lot of great discussion. Um, Would you differ with me on that? I just have to ask. I think so, but I think that we would differ in a very gracious way and I wouldn't be dogmatic in my position. Yeah. What about Um, you? Are you just, you're speaking specifically to the baptism question? Yeah. Just to the baptism. What about you? I would, um, I think I would lean into the preferable and what we have primarily in Scripture is baptism within a local church. But not only do we have Philip and the Ethiopian, that that would be in Acts chapter 8, but in Acts chapter 9, we have Ananias and Paul, mm-hmm. Ananias baptizing Paul. Um, that's not in the context of a local church. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. <laughs> that was for a different reason. Yeah, that was, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm teasing. No, uh, so I, and yes, I, yeah, I yeah, agree that yeah. those are you can have those con- those conversations of exceptions because this is the Book of Acts, and, and we don't want to make exceptions regularly. But you asked me a specific exact, question. No, so I that's fair, and I think that's answer. great for us to, to to hash those things out. Yeah. One um, story but, that I have related to that sure. is I actually had. A uh, young girl that um, called me just within the last year, 
asking me to uh, do a baptism, to baptize her, um, and and to include her in our baptismal service that we were having just um, in within a couple of weeks that she called me. And um, the reason why she wanted me to do it is I I had been um, instrumental or used by the Lord to help lead her to the to salvation, and she um, I was just the instrument that God used. But um, and her family had been a part of the congregation, and uh, they had moved off, and it had become too far for them to drive. And and she's grown up and uh, on her own, has her own job and all that kind of thing. And so she said, I want you to baptize me because of our time together our record together hmm. and um i didn't i i i talked her out of me doing it and i said why don't you do it at the local church that you're attending be involved in that church mm. so she was she was a member of a church already she was not a member oh okay. she had not been okay. baptized okay. within that congregation okay okay uh, but she just wanted me to do it here okay um within the, our body and before our members and then uh she would join that other church by letter mm. uh, technically mm. in southern baptist jargon yeah yeah but um <clears throat> i turned her down and, and i encouraged her to know go to the local church you're attending let them baptize you and um and she did go there and it was actually her her dad that baptized her but it was under the auspice of the yeah, church that's great yeah yeah and i, I think we could also a whole other podcast probably series we could go through yes. multiple episodes talking about the role that baptism and church membership are uh I my my personal preference and my belief conviction is that those are directly tied together. Well I would uh, argue is that there, baptism and the Lord's Supper go together too. And all well and what do you mean go, go together? Well I think that if you haven't been baptized you shouldn't be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Yes, yes, yes. Well correct, correct. But so I, there, I mean there's no that baptism that you belong. Baptism and church membership go together in a different way than what you're meant Yeah, you're but mentioning. I meant I think they're connected is my point. Yeah. They're yeah, so that we could we could chase that a bunch, but we could we, we, we hope about paedo baptism in, in the context of covenant, which is not yeah. in the regulative principle. No, it's not. Well, uh, not for us. It that's would be for the extra for the... biblical, and that would yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be in their regulative principle. <laughs> Tune in for our our next series. <laughs> yeah, um, so I'm just teasing. Yeah, we're joking. Well, uh, listeners, we are so glad if you've hung with us this long. This has been a, a lengthy, a um, little bit more conversational episode. We want to communicate clearly to you today. Uh, wherever you are, that uh, if you come to Believers Baptist Church, uh, maybe you're a member here, maybe you're, you're someone who attends uh, regularly. Um, we care about what we do deeply. We're convictional about what we what we do and what we don't do, what we leave out, what we avoid. And I know that I can speak for Jason as well as Philip and the other elders as well, is that this is an important, vitally important part of our week when we gather together. We are we unified in the Spirit, brought under the authority of the Word, and we are partaking of and engaging in the ways in which God has prescribed for us and commanded for us to approach Him and to worship Him. There is a, there's just an incredible sanctification involved there. There are um, encouragement there. There is um, growth there. All these things. And so... We, we just wanted to spend a few episodes talking about corporate worship, gathered worship, the benefits of that for, for each of us, 
as well as the um, the dangers of avoiding it and missing out on it. Um, there, there's just so much there we could continue on. Um, Jason, would you close us out today with just a, a final thought as we wrap up our episode today? Well, I, I think, too, we, we have to remember that God in his mercy has given us these ways to worship him. Because if we try to approach him in a way that would be on our own ingenuity, our own uh, desires, uh, and we have several examples in Scripture, Nahab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10 offering strange fire. We could go all the way back even to Exodus chapter 32 in regard to the uh, nation of Israel thinking that they're worshiping Yahweh, that is God, when actually they've got a, a representation of him in the form of a golden calf. And there are other examples as well, but but we just, we, um, these things that are given to us are given to our benefit and they are gifts to us from a gracious and good God. Amen. And with that, we're going to wrap up and that's it for today's episode. Uh, we'll have one final episode at the end of the month next week. Um, so be sure to, to tune in for that one. We're going to be looking at some particular texts that we've already mentioned and brought up. We're going to spend a little bit more time expositing those texts, talking through them, and see how those inform us in our worship. Thank you once again for taking the time to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast. We hope that this has been a blessing to you. Don't forget to like and share this podcast with anyone that you think this would be helpful for. Um, on our, uh, our website, you can find this on the church website. Also, if this sparks any questions in your mind or you have some sort of question even unrelated to the topics we've been discussing, you can go on our website under the media tab and submit a question to us and we will uh, we'll evaluate those questions. We'll go through them and we'll seek to uh, be a resource for you there. But until next time, grace and peace be with you all.